When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey out there, rock and rollers. Welcome to episode number 107 of the Ugly American Werewolf in London Rock Podcast. The Amsterdam edition as the wolf is settling in Amsterdam for a bit these days. I got to tell you, it's a little colder than it was in London and maybe even rainier. Didn't see that coming, but it is fun to be in Amsterdam. uh, And I'm excited to have some stuff lined up for next year, including the outset of the Metallica two-year world tour where they do two nights in a town and they don't play the same song on either night. That's right. There'll be two totally different set lists every time they hit a city. And they're kicking it off in Amsterdam in April. 2023 and the wolf's going to be at both shows so look forward to reviews of those coming your way in about five months or so maybe six but we appreciate everybody tuning into our show on aerosmith's permanent vacation last week it was a fun one for me and jackson to review big comeback for them an important time in our lives as teenagers with them all over mtv and we thought it'd be fun on the 35th anniversary of that record to make sure we we talked about that one. and we had some great comments on there and we really appreciate them we're staying on that memory lane thing here, doing another anniversary, an album turning 40 this year, squeezing it in before the end of 2022, came out in 1982, and that's Van Halen's Diver Down, which sold 4 million copies of the U.S., but almost didn't come to pass. Van Halen had just finished up the Fair Warning Tour. They retired. They were going to get a vacation, finally, after about five years of working hard, record tour, record tour, and all that. But they put out a single. It was a cover, Oh Pretty Woman, the Roy Orbison classic. And it hit the charts. So then Warner Brothers said, hey, I got a hit single. We got to have a record to go with it. You got to make an album. So instead of getting vacation, they ran in in 12 days. They produced Diver Down, which is chock full of covers, which is why it gets a lot of guff from Van Halen fans and hard rock fans. You got Eddie Van Halen, the world's most extraordinary guitar player. You've got Diamond David Lee Roth, this flamboyant lead singer. And you come out and do Happy Trails and Where Have All the Good Times Gone? Are you kidding me? But... It's still got in the charts. It still sold over 4 million in the U.S. And it still set them up for incredible success with 1984, which would be coming uh, in the next 24 months after the release of this. So we decided to dive into this before the 2022 was out. Well, it's still the 40th anniversary of Diver Down and talk about how we came to it. And even though it's very short, it's only 31 minutes, we'll manage to talk about it for about twice that amount of time. You know us. Uh, now, as usual, we have to give shout outs because we are a proud member of the Pantheon Podcast Network with nearly 100 shows, all music, all genres. There's something in there for everybody. And we like to give shout-outs to the folks who've been on our show or who've had us on their show, like Jay Scott at The Hook Rocks, like Christy Alexander-Hallberg, 
of rock is lit, like Martin Popoff, History in Five Songs, like Paul Stevenson of Vintage Rock Pod and This Day Rocks. And you could never do this without Paul. He's a huge supporter of ours, and we really appreciate that, Paul. And of course, we give shout outs to the Kiss Kings themselves, Tom and Zeus of the Shout It Out Loudcast, the number one Kiss podcast in the world. We appreciate the shout outs that you give us on your show, guys. And of course, we also have to give a shout out to our incredible sponsor, rarevinyl.com. Guys, there's a little time left before the holidays, right? You're looking for that special something for your rock and roll fan in your life? Go to rarevinyl.com. They've got over a quarter of a million items in stock. They ship all over the world. They take great care to make sure it gets to you in pristine condition. And you can use the code podcast, P-O-D-C-A-S-T, to get 10% off, not only the first order, but with every order you make from rarevinyl.com over the years. They have an incredible selection really most any band that you want. It's not just records. It might be CDs. It could be singles. It could be tour programs, maybe a ticket stub, whatever. Go to rarevinyl.com. Use code podcast. Save yourself 10%. You'll be glad that you did. And of course, we want you to subscribe and download wherever you get your podcasts. Apple, iTunes, Spotify. Good Pods is very good to us. Go to Good Pods. You can see us in the top 10 and top 20 music lists. And that always makes us feel real good. Plus, you can send us notes on there and let us know what you're thinking about. So it's a fun way to interact with us and with other podcasters. Definitely recommend Good Pods. But please, if you're thinking about it, please give us a good positive review. It just helps us find more rock and roll fans like you. Now, back to Van Halen. In the late 80s, I was a huge Van Halen fan. I would have put Van Halen in my top three, certainly top five bands of all time. They were running with Sammy. They were doing Bigger albums, big tours, big hits with Sammy Hagar and their band. 1988, saw the release of OU812 when we were in high school. Right before we went to college, they did Four Lawful Carnal Knowledge. With Ed playing with a drill on his guitar and pound cake. And we couldn't wait to see them live. And it was, I think it was the first concert that Jackson and I actually saw together was Van Halen in the Orlando Arena in fall of 1991 uh, with Alice in Chains opening for them. So that's a special memory for us. So we thought we'd go back to this album because it's celebrating, Diver Down is celebrating its 40th anniversary this year. And it's also a little controversial with all the covers, but it's still an important part of the catalog. So why don't you join us? Okay, Jackson and I are going deep on Diver Down by Van Halen right here on The Wolf. Podcast listeners, Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house, and my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode, available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind and these Raycons are fantastic. 
Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So, what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right, you'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. And I know for years we've kind of, and it's not just us, it's Van Halen fans, it's rock fans who've kind of dogged the Diver Down album, not only because of all the covers, but because it's very short. You know, it's it's like 31 minutes and, 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 and that's about it. But the fact of the matter is Fair Warning was only like seven seconds longer and it came out the year before. Now, <laughs> I think they get, I think they get a little bit of leeway there because it had Unchained on it, which is badass, but uh but yeah, I mean, between the covers and the brevity of the record, this is an odd one. I mean, I, look, I like it, but I understand why people have issues with Diver Down. And I can see how you would have been concerned or confused if you had just picked the record up in 1982, like mm-hmm. Sight Unseen. You were a huge Van Halen fan. Okay, boom. Next one comes out. Here we go. What is this? What right. did I just listen to? It's very silly. There's a lot of covers. I know that... I don't think I don't think Fair Warning went over as well as they thought it would. It, it Fair Warning is dark, it's nasty, it's greasy, uh, but it's all original. And I think they were looking for a change of pace. I think Warner Brothers really did not like Fair Warning. They they wanted more hits, even though right. to your point, Unchained is probably one of the best songs they've ever done. Mean Streets is a great song. I really like that record. I just think it kind of fell flat, especially in the sales category. Even though it did go platinum, they were looking for something different on this one. Yeah, I mean, I think it actually, you know, sold a couple million copies, you know, so that's pretty good, you know. But look, the the single in the U.S. and the opening single was So This Is Love, which is, it's a decent Van Halen song. It's not one that people clamored for throughout the 80s and the 90s. Unchained was released as a single, but really in Europe and not in America. You kind of mm-hmm. had to hunt it down if you're an American rock fan. Same with Main Street, released in Europe, not in America. But here's what I didn't realize in doing a little research for this for this record. They came off the tour for Fair Warning, all right? Mm-hmm. And then they were going to get a vacation. They are going to get a rest because, you know, really it was like 78's first album. 78 is Van Halen 2. 1980s women and children first 1981 is fair warning and they're touring all the time for that it's like okay you guys are going to get to take a break cool it's like all right but we want to we want to do something so people don't forget us and they like pretty woman right so they go in and they cut pretty woman which is obviously a uh, a cover you know roy orbison mm-hmm. classic right dave loves to do covers we can tell and so yeah they, they go back and they do that they back it with Happy Trails because they could rip that pretty easily, right? It's a, mm-hmm. uh, it's it's an old Dale Evans song. We can put that on the B-side, great. And so we'll put this out so people don't forget about us, and then we'll go take a break for a little while. Well, they do that, and then Pretty Woman goes on the charts. And, of course, the record comes like, hey, there, boys, we got to hit it. Now we need another album. It's like, no, we don't want to do an album. We want to take a break. It's like, no, you can't. If you've got a hit single, you've got to have an album to promote mm-hmm. it, right? So they went in in 12 days and recorded the rest of Diver Down. So for something they basically did in 12 days, I think it's pretty good. But that kind of tells you more of the story, doesn't it? Right. And I think the uh, I think the total price tag on it was like $46,000. 
which was less than their debut record. So yeah, I mean, it was it was quick, it was dirty. And I, I think to your point, it was something they didn't really want to do at the time. You know, you you get to that point where it's you're just exhausted. Yeah. You just want to break. And the record company just, I mean, it, which it seems weird. You've got four records that went platinum. This would go platinum. But you're still worried about people forgetting about us. And if we take six months or a year off, I mean, that's the that's the record company slave driver mentality of I don't care. Get back in there and work. And that's Warner Brothers, correct? They were in Warner correct. Brothers all those years? Yeah. Correct. So, but now it kind of, to their credit, it kind of worked because Fair Warning was not a huge hit, but uh, this went quadruple platinum in the United States, mm-hmm. Diver Down. So you, you, you make it for $46,000 and then you sell 4 million copies in the US alone, more than 5 million around the world. I hate to say the record company was right because I'm always <laughs> on the artist's side. I'm always <laughs> on the artist's side. But you know, it, it kind of worked out for him. And then they did take a little time before they got to 1984, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which really think, paid off. Right. Right. Because that was that they released that at the end. Well, they released it in 84, but like I think January 1st of 84, which everybody went nuts for in the record business. Because I, I guess you just don't do that. Yeah. But uh, well, the, the band wanted to release it on uh, December 31st, 1983, yeah. just so. It didn't come out in 1984. And they're like, oh, yeah, sure. Yeah, we'll do that. And, you know, it's like January 9th or whatever it was. <laughs> but, I mean, that's that's a diamond-selling record. That, Correct. That's one of the really big ones. And thanks to MTV, that was huge for for Van Halen. But this was the one that preceded it. So so how? Like, before I get into my story, I want to know how mm. you ever came to the record Diver Down. It had to be in high school. So that would mean it was after 1984 and probably after 5150 also. Then it, Mm -hmm. yeah. Then it was like, because, because, you know, 84 was huge. We've talked about that. We did a whole episode on that and how, when, when it was coming out on MTV, it was big for me. I had a copy of the record. Wait, 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 wait. We have not reviewed 1984 on the show yet. Yeah, we have. We did a whole, we have done the first record. We have not done 1984 yet. We haven't. No, we're saving it. Well, I need to stop drinking before I come on the show then. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, then there you have it then. So <laughs> so I felt okay, so I fell in love with it. And then 5150 came out, different yeah. deal, but you know, it, it was Van Halen was back. Right. So then I think I worked into it from there. Somebody had a copy of it. So I had already and, and so that was that's what I was trying to think about for this for this review was how when I heard it. Mm-hmm. What else did I have kind of in the in the memory bank to go off of? Right. And a lot of it was crazy from the heat had already come out with just, just the gigolo and right. uh, California girl. So I was like, OK, so this is kind of like silly Dave then when he right. was doing his his own thing. So it, in the context that I saw it, it kind of made sense. But I can imagine, like we were talking about before, if you got this brand new, you were very confused as to what was happening. Probably so. Yeah, probably so. Now, here's the thing. Obviously, I love 1984. When it came out, summer of 1984, Panama was everywhere. Jump, Mm -hmm. hot for teacher. All the videos were all over MTV. Loved it, right? Yes, 5150 comes out. It's a new singer, and it's different, but there's still some pretty cool Van Halen songs on there. I have to admit that it was in high school, 87, 88, 89. Mm Mm-hmm. And I can't tell you the date, but somewhere in there is when I first heard Eruption. And I want to say I was 15 or 16, maybe a sophomore or so in high school. Okay. And it was I was blown away. And it kind of was 
when I was getting into like Eric Clapton and Jimmy Page, like I love guitar players. Guitar is the heart of rock and roll. Who are the best guitar players in the world? And then that comes into my world. Obviously, it had already been out for over a decade, but I hadn't heard it. They didn't play it on the radio that much. And so I hear that. I'm like, whoa, Eruption is unbelievable. Eddie Van Halen's the greatest guitar player in the world. Plus, I already liked him because he had the pop success from 1984. Right. So then I went out and bought the first Van Halen record, as so many people have. And I had a few buddies who were into Van Halen as well. And I'm pretty sure that during this time that OU812 had actually already come out as well, because I think that was 1988. Yeah, it was 88. So it was 88. So, and, and I didn't love everything off that. I did not like, come on, baby, finish what you started. I just didn't think it was very rocking. I didn't think it was really cool. So I'm like, all right, but wait, I went and found this Van Halen 1 record and it's amazing mm. with running with yeah. the devil and ain't talking about love. Start to finish. Yeah, the whole thing is fantastic. Yeah. So I was like, so they must have more. I should go out and buy something else. And I kind of encouraged my buddies to kind of do the same thing. So like, okay, <laughs> let's not all get the same thing. Like right. you go get Van Halen too. Mm-hmm. You go get, you know, whatever. And I think I chose Diver Down because it had Pretty Woman on it, because I liked that song and I had heard. I'd heard it on the radio, along with this odd intruder opening, which we'll we'll get to. Uh, mm-hmm. And maybe I'd seen the video at some point. Probably not, though. And so I took a chance on, all right, well, I've got the first one. I've got 1984. Let's see what Diver Down, the album before 1984, the run-up. Let's see okay. what that one's all about. And so, yeah, 88, 89, that's when it came into my life. See, that's funny because I did the exact same thing, only I picked – uh, fair warning instead of Diver Down. And it was gotcha. because I think it because it had Unchained and, and uh, Mean Street, but it was exactly the same deal. It was like, okay, we got to divide and conquer here. You get this one, I'll get this one, then we'll all meet back here and listen right. to these records. Absolutely. No, that's cool. And that's what you had to do back in the day. And, and right. 1988, 89, when a CD is like 15, 16 bucks. Oh, yeah. Where am I going to get 15, 16 bucks? You know, I'm going to start driving soon. I got to gas money. So I, I don't know. Uh, anyway, so uh, yeah. So I was like, all right, I'll, I'll give this diver down a shot. And I thought, okay, compared to 1984, the first album, and then the two Sammy albums that I was familiar with, I would rank it fifth of those five, to be honest with you. Even behind OU812 and 5150. I don't know if I would do that now, but back okay. in the day... Yeah, uh, that's that's exactly kind of where I put it because it was just less familiar and it had all these odd songs on it. It, it really, yeah. It, it, going back and looking at it now, it really seems like they just kind of had a. We've got these songs that are kind of floating around. They don't, don't really kind of go together, but we can just we can put them together in pat and package it and put it out. But yeah, there really is no continuity. No, and there's not a lot of meat to it. I mean, like we say, it's 31 minutes, which is incredibly short. There's five, there's five covers on here mm-hmm. and they're not all rock covers. Some of them are kind of odd. So, okay, that leaves seven songs, but two of those seven songs are basically intros to other songs, right? right. Intruder is the intro to Pretty Woman and Little Guitars intro is the intro to Little Guitars. So now you're down to five songs, one of which is Cathedral, which was always mm-hmm. part of Ed's solo. And we'll talk about that. It's only a minute and 20 seconds long. So now you're talking about there's four original songs on an album, you know, after you just put one out last year, that will get you some criticism. And I got to believe it. They kind of earn it a little bit. You know, (laughs) if you really only put out four new songs, again, it's a record company pushing them, but still 
there's a reason a lot of people push back against this album. Right. And and you show up to the to the uh, peaches with your money in your hand and you mm-hmm. want me to spend full price on what is basically an EP. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know I don't if know I I don't know if I'm pulling the trigger on that. Exactly. Exactly. But hey, bands have got to do what they've got to do. And if the record company is saying you got to put out an album and you still owe them albums, well, all right. Yeah, you, you kind of got to put out an album, you know. But I think it was it's the odd success of this album, the kind of unexpected success of it, I think bought them enough time to be able to do 1984 right. Mm, right, right. And and I think now that going back to looking at it, this is like you're kind of the weird cousin who doesn't really fit into the family, but it's really fun to hang around with. <laughs> yeah. Oh, God, Dave. David Lee Roth, man. Diamond Dave. Yeah. With that blonde mane, ripped abs, doing your high kicks and your what? Oh, you know, he's he was a front man for his time, but he didn't he wasn't really able to go the distance, really. I mean, yes, he continued to play into his 60s. He's just kind of recently retired. He is an entertainer. There's no doubt mm-hmm. about it. But he's right. not an incredible songwriter. And is he a great singer? I think he's more of a front man than a singer. He, Whereas, he's a great. Well, I'm sorry. I was just going to Whereas Steven Tyler from our last show. He's both. He's a great singer right. and front man. Dave's more the front man than the singer. And he sings the, he sings the Van Halen songs very well. Mm-hmm. I, I talked earlier about Crazy from the Heat, even though he had a stellar band behind him for his, or especially Incredible his original oh solo God. career, yeah. the songwriting way fell off. And you can see that in his solo records. Like, okay, it, they sound great. Like the, the musical right. part sounds great. The vocals and the lyrics are very yeah. subpar. Like, so you yeah. So to your point, yes, I think he's an entertainer. I mean, I, I was listening to uh, they, they were on rock line or something in 1982 and it was only, it was Alex, Mikey and uh, Dave. I don't know where Eddie was, but right. you know, so they comes on, Hey, you know, we've got Van Halen here from St. Louis or something. And then, Hey, you know, Michael Anthony, Alex Van Halen. And then all of a sudden the David Lee Rawls show starts. Who is Who's that man? Yeah. yeah. Who is that masked man riding in from this, you know, on the waves of greatness or something. And then he just takes over. So yeah, it, it, to be around him would have been exhausting. Just <laughs> exhausting. I think so. It, it, the show never stopped ever. Yeah, his mouth never stops. Yeah. And it's always just stuff like that. It's always, you know, the, the cream of the crop, rise to the top, blah, 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 and he, he, okay. Okay. Yeah. okay. I, I just, I just want to sit here and have a beer and be quiet for two <laughs> seconds. But it's so they're, they're, they're huge in California, obviously. They're big in Europe because the Van Halens are from the Netherlands and they got some traction. Hard rock is a little bit bigger over here in Europe than it was mm-hmm. in America at the time. So, so that's going well for them. And obviously they're selling some records around America. You know, the first album did very well. And it's also one of those, it, it might have been fine out of the gate, but it really just kind of continued to sell over time. So when 1984 comes out, that sells well. And so does the first album, you know, when 5150 comes out, that sells well. And so does the first album. Like it, every generation catches up with the first album because of eruption and things like that. And it just kind of continues to sell to this day. But this was an interesting point in time for them. And I just thought on its 40th anniversary, even though it came out, I think it was April of 1982. Before 1982's out, this is one that we wanted to review because it's, it's an important part of the Van Halen story. Yes. I, I think this the, the events that surrounded this record would shape how the band moved on from here. 
I think that's fair to say, you know, because there's a lot of covers on here, which I look, if you did a cover as your lead single, right. And then mm-hmm. all of a sudden it's really big. Oh, okay. Uh, well now the record company's demanding we give them more. What do you do? Well, just give them some more covers, right? If the cover worked, how about some different covers? How about some more covers, you know? But the fact of the matter is, especially once Dave left, they never really played anything off this album. Yeah, right. This one did kind of get lost to history. And this is where the story of this record kind of gets a little fuzzy because I was listening to some interviews at about this time and everybody was excited. Oh, we can't, you know, we're so excited about this record, you know, coming out, had so much fun, you know, revisiting these songs that we love these, but that that's not the story that I've heard after that. Mm-hmm. Basically the, the story as I understand it is Ed was so upset with this record that he went out and built 5150 because he never wanted to be told what to do again. Ah, interesting. And that was, that was the thing is that Warner brothers was saying, if you want to put a record out, we want hits. We want hits. We want you to do these songs, get in there and record these. And even though, like I said, when the when the record was coming out, he was oh so excited, blah, blah, blah. He went and filed permits so that he would ne- he said he'd rather go down in flames on his own mm-hmm. than be told what to do ever again. So from that, we got the 5150 studio, which is still being used today by the one and only Mr. Wolf Van Halen. That's right to do his stuff. So yeah, he, he really wanted a place where he could just do his own thing. And Hey, God bless him for doing that. Right. Because after that, I know a lot of people are sour on the Sammy years or, you know, Van Halen changed at that point, because when you're in the seventies and your kids and all you want to do is sing about partying and having fun. And then you get to the eighties and maybe not Dave, but the rest of the guys are like husbands and dads uh-huh. and stuff like that. Your perspective changes. You sing and write different kinds of songs. And I understand that. If the audience grows up with them, that's great. But I don't think Dave ever really did or ever really wanted to. No, no. You know? and, and dude, he, what was that record he did in the 90s? Uh, the Devil, uh, yeah. Little is Enough? Something, yeah. I heard something off of that. I'm like, wow. Sensible still, Shoes song? Like, that song You're sucks. still doing the same thing. You're still <laughs> stuck in, like, 1978, 1979. That, you know, the part, everything's a party. It's a full-time deal. And yeah, it's just, you have to move on at some point in time. And I don't think Dave ever wanted to. Yeah. It's like, you've got that one buddy who was like a big time (laughs) athlete in high school or whatever. (laughs) And it's like, you know, the the year after you graduate, you're like, oh yeah, man, you were great in high school. Yeah, dude. Yeah. I was was great. I scored all these points. And then like 30 years later, you want to talk about, so how's business? How's your family? like, do you remember how awesome I was in high school? I'm like, no, dude, I don't care anymore. I mean, I'm glad it happened. You know, it was fun and all, but it was 30 years ago. Like, are we moving on? Or Are you still wearing that Letterman's jacket? Okay. Cool. Do you still have the VHS tapes of our basketball games? Why do you have those? Hey, guys, this is Chris from My Rock and Roll Heaven, and you're listening to the Ugly American Werewolf in London podcast. <laughs> All right, well, let's let's kind of jump into it because this is a short record and we tend to go long on everything. So let's all right, let's jump in. You start off with "Where Have All the Good Times Gone," which is a Ray Davies song, a Kink song, and I guess David mm-hmm. had had a like a KTEL special record that you know had like thirty some odd Kink songs on it, so he could he could rattle off. They already had a lot of success with "You Really Got Me," which is often played 
on the radio in America right after they play eruption because eruptions, you know, so brief. I don't, is it even mm-hmm. two minutes? I don't think. So they would play eruption and you really got me back to back. So if you're okay, well, we're doing some covers. We can do the kinks again, you know? And so they start with where have all the good times gone? Right. And I didn't really know that this was a kink song and you don't want to go long on here. So I'll be quiet on this, but <laughs> that to me, the kinks do not get enough credit in the history of rock and roll. They kind of get pushed to the side a little bit. But, you know, you have the Beatles, you get the Stones. Don't forget about the Kinks. They wrote some pretty cool songs. I created distortion, you know, and yeah, all correct. that kind of yeah, stuff. Dave, yeah, Davies, pretty important yeah. stuff. Correct. Um, we can go into that hopefully on a later episode. But I think it's very strange. So go. let's go back to the title real quick. Yeah. Diver Down. What is Diver Down? What is What does that mean? What, why would right. you pick that? Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that's Dave, right? I mean, mm-hmm. you know, they put the flag up because the right. flag that you put on your boat when there's somebody under the water there, you put that flag up so you're not running mm-hmm. boats real fast around there and you're careful on the surface. Sure. But it's an it's a double entendre as mm-hmm. only Dave can do. Right. Dive right. her down because he's a bit of a diver. Yes, correct. Of muffs. Correct. <laughs> Hey, habit of habit, habit, hey, ha ha. But the other thing is too, then there's the whole you were talking about, you know, the diving flag and and there's something going on. And his thing was, well, there's something going on underneath that you can't see. Okay. So they weren't really super excited with each other during uh fair warning. And now you I mean, I'm not a psychiatrist, but where have all the good times gone? That's what you're gonna pick to <laughs> say what's going on with this band. Interesting. Okay. Yeah, I didn't think other- about that. Yeah, the other thing about this 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 track is if you go back and listen to the Kings one, it's mm-hmm. kind of sad. Like it's a guy, I think he's supposed to be in his 40s and it's just, mm-hmm. you know, like where have all the good times gone? The the music on this track does not match what they're singing. I mean, this is an upbeat. It's a pretty cool thing, but then you listen, yeah, where have all the good times? What? works but it's very it's a very odd dichotomy between the music and the lyrics and maybe it was a reaction to like hey we're about to go on vacation for a few months you know we could buy ferraris we could go to hawaii mm-hmm. for a month but now we got to go back to work i mean where did all where have all the good yeah. times gone you know that kind of thing i like al's drums through this it's got a great heavy riff and some good runs on it but i mean yeah. it's, it's kind of simple compared to some of the Compared to what we had at that point become accustomed to from from Eddie, right? I mean, the solo yes. has a little magic on it, but it's not its best. Yes, but I think here is the is part of the genius of Eddie Van Halen is he knows when to give you the full face blast, mm-hmm. and he also knows when to tone it down. This is one of those riffs where you could probably sit there and figure it out yourself if you were fairly, you know semi-adept at playing the guitar and then you're like hey i can play this song off the record it's simple but it works i agree with you. and it's it's a fine way to start off the yeah. record like it, it's it's a rocker you know so so we get it going but let's get into the second tune which is hang em high great okay. title for a van halen song right you know <laughs> Has entendres if that's what you're looking for, you know. Yeah. I just thought it was interesting that Eddie said about this song, I just played that loose and, and I kind of just cut it and we did it. 
I play it better than the album every time I play it. Like every night I play it, I play it better than that because it's loose and you can do that. You know, he does some really cool stuff at the start and then yeah. a little bit more after the first chorus. And then we're starting to get it. Okay. This is more like it. This is more like the Van Halen yeah. that we're looking for. And this is kind of the, there's, there's like two different ways that they play songs. One is that Ed does the, like the main riff. And mm-hmm. then everybody else kind of fills in around him. Yeah, he's got a riff at the beginning, but then Mikey comes in on the bass and sets the groove. And mm-hmm. then Ed just kind of floats around on top and yes. peppers it in. So it's kind of it's so again, it's not like the first song at all where he's playing the main riff, but it works. And it's really fun to hear Mikey in down there in the basement just grooving it around. Grooving around, yeah. And I think yeah. it gave him the room. I I think this is the best, it might be the best solo on the record. Yes, I, I would I would say the same thing, and it, it is nice that they didn't do all covers. <laughs> yeah, thank goodness, you yeah. Know? But he also said it was something that had been around for a while, and they finally kind of pieced it together. It's like he didn't even know how good it was the solo because I mean, he's like, oh, I, I I do that better every night. I'm like, no, man, it's actually pretty damn good. <laughs> you know, well, and that that's got to be the tough thing too as an artist to listen to this. Thing. And say, oh, you know, I could have, I missed a note, or I could have played that better, or something. But yeah, to to the fans, it sounds awesome. One of the things that they were talking about on this record is they did it a little bit differently. Like, I guess they used they have like the they would lay down the skeleton mm-hmm. and then they would go and come back and, and do the rest of the parts. But okay. in the old way of doing things, they would do all of the skeletons first and then come back and do the rest of the song. Whereas this one, they would do it one song at a time. Oh, they I would see. Finish a song and then move on to the and next song. The next he one. said, yeah, he said that worked out a lot better. Focus them a little more and let them do it faster than having to revisit things a thousand times. The other thing that he said too about Fair Warning was that there was a lot of mixing and a lot of overdubbing. Okay. And I think maybe on this one, they told him, hey, listen, just just go in there and play what you feel. And, you know, we we don't really have the time or the patience yeah, yeah, exactly. to, to do another record like that where you have just zillions of hours of remixing this. Right. No, no, you're right about that, you know. But I got to make this point early in the show here. All right. So this song, like the seven original songs on the album, are just like all the songs in Van Halen's catalog with Dave. All four members get equal contribution. Song written Mm -hmm. by Eddie Van Halen, Alex Van Halen, David Lee Roth, and Michael Anthony. Mm -hmm. It is very rare for bands to do that. And usually it leads to great longevity, right? Like R.E.M., did that. Peter Buck's like, I've done the research. The reason bands break up is because of issues over right. publishing royalties, right? So we'll just give everybody their fourth. And they never had a breakup. Eventually Bill Barry left, but they never had, you know, really, you know, people in and out. You two, same way. I gotta believe that Bono writes most all those lyrics, right? Does Larry Mullen write a lot of lyrics? No. Do I need to give him a quarter? Probably not. But like, look, we came up in this together. We all came from mm-hmm. nothing. Let's all take the royalties together. And God love him. You two has never had a lineup change in 45 years. But Van Halen <laughs> did it right. 
And they still had issues. They had issues with Dave. They had issues with Sammy. Eventually they had issues with Mike. I mean, it's like, what's going on here? You know? And Mm -hmm. I think it's, I think it's at some point you got to say it's the Van Halen brothers. And although Eddie seems like an easygoing, cool guy, maybe to outsiders. Yeah. But I got a feeling when he's doing business, he might be a little difficult to deal with. I'm not sure. That that's that's the vibe that I get. I can because if you listen to people who know him casually, mm-hmm. you know, oh, I met him or blah blah. He oh, is the, super yeah, he's guy. the greatest guy. Yeah, very very giving, very uh, very humble when he talked. But yeah, to do business with him or to to be in a professional relationship, right. it sounds like it was very difficult. And then he's got his brothers. Yeah. You know, it's, it's never just you against that. It's you versus both of them. Correct. Yeah. So, yeah. So basically, if you're like, just say you're Michael Anthony. So basically, you've got a quarter share going against half of right. the band because they're never, they're never going to break rank with each other. Exactly. Exactly right. Yeah. All right. Well, well, let's, I mean, that's, that's a good one. Although it's not one that I listen to a whole lot. I, I think that's a good, solid Van Halen song, Hang Em High. Okay. Let's, let's get to yeah. song number three which is another big reason that I picked up the album. Yes, I heard Pretty Woman, and that's great. But in addition to having the first album in 1984 and the Sammy records, there was a VHS called Live Without a Net from New Haven, Connecticut, Mm. from the 5150 Mm. tour, okay? Okay, yeah. And my dad had this killer, killer stereo set up where everything was connected, including connecting the VCR into the stereo. So not only mm-hmm. could you watch your stuff in stereo, but you could then dub it onto a cassette, which you could then listen to in your car. Okay. So, and famously, until they did uh, Right Here, Right Now Live, Van Halen never did a live album. They didn't have a live album with Dave, and they didn't have a live album with Sammy until four albums in. I'm sorry, three albums in. And when we were in college, that came out, it was a really big deal for us. But I really wanted a live Van Halen record. So I dubbed that cassette, uh, I'm sorry, the VHS onto a 90-minute Maxell cassette. And I listened to that thing night and day. And of course, that has Eddie's live solo on it, where he does uh, 316, before Mm -hmm. he ever laid it down on Foreign Lawful Carnal Knowledge, where he does Mean Streets intro on there. Yeah. He ends with eruption, but then he, in the middle, he did cathedral and cathedral blew me away because it's not fast tapping. It's not a lot of picking. It's you're taking the volume knob and you're messing with it while you do a little bit of hammering on and pulling off. I guess I've still never seen anyone ever do anything like this in rock and roll. I've seen all the greatest rock guitarists you can list, and I've never seen anyone do anything like cathedral other than Eddie Van Halen. Right. And just a quick point. Uh, it was not recorded in New Haven. It was recorded in New Haven, Connecticut. Well, that's they what they call the name it for that for the evening. That's right. And honestly, this song, like when I first heard it, I was kind of like, eh, whatever. Like it wasn't fast. It wasn't. It was. Eh. But then you showed me that tape right and to watch him mess with the knob and like wait a minute yeah how did you even think to do that that is fantastic 
it, it's like uh, there's a Joe Satriani tone called, I think it's Mystical Potato Head Groove. Mm-hmm. And you listen to it and you're like, eh, you know, whatever. It kind of sounds like a lot of the other stuff. But when you watch him play it live, he takes his right hand and he goes up and he grabs the the neck and makes like a capo and then play. It's it's flourishing, oh. basically. So when you watch him live, it's a lot cooler. The, the same thing with this, like to watch him do that and you say, OK, now I understand how he makes that sound. It made it so much better. And again, just somebody who never stopped messing with, you know, what else can I do? Well, what if I mm-hmm. did this? Oh, okay. That sounds that sounds cool. I can make it sound like an organ. You really do feel like you're in a church. Yes. Like, you know, it's got to be a synthesizer or something. No, no. It's, it's just playing the guitar and messing with the volume. But he did say that he got kind of got burned on a little bit because he plays it so hard that the knob would freeze up on it. Right. So you had to be real careful with, you know, really just kind of being delicate with it to not just melt the thing. No, you're right. And I remember telling people, oh, this is a, it's just like a minute and a half keyboard solo that Eddie Van Halen does. That's what I thought until I yeah. saw a live without a net. I'm like, holy shit, he's doing that with a guitar. <laughs> Unbelievable. You know? Well, and especially, especially too, if you came into it, from the 1984 days, you would just imagine it's just a, it's a synthesizer like he plays on on 84. No, mm-hmm. it's not at all. This was I don't think he did well, a little bit maybe on Dancing in the Street, but a lot of it was it was all guitar. There was no keyboards. Absolutely. You know, and, and right. It kind of sounds like you're in church with this cathedral. That's why he named right. it cathedral. You know, so that's a lot. We've talked a lot longer than the length of the song on it. But I, <laughs> look, it's, to me, it's an achievement in guitar heroics that I've never mm-hmm. seen anyone before or do before or since. And he said he was, you know, he'd been sitting on it for about a year. You know, it didn't make it on fair warning. So I was like, OK, well, I, I can put this down, you know. But see, even that, Jackson which doesn't have any other, it doesn't have any singing on it, doesn't have any lyrics, doesn't have any other instruments on it. Even for that, he only gets one quarter of the writing for that mm-hmm. song. Right. And and I think that that is, you know, you mentioned U2. I think they do a lot of writing in the, in the space. Mm-hmm. You know, like somebody will come in with an idea and then people kind of add to it. So in that case, okay, you know what, maybe, you know, I can see justifying it. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. But yeah, I, this is basically my... Comp- uh, composition i did it all myself but yeah but contractually i have to give everybody else a quarter share of this that starts to wear on you a little bit yeah i mean at least on eruption there are some drums and bass at the beginning yeah. of it, and they do that before they walk off stage to let eddie do his thing but you know on this that's just ed that's all it is you know so right. it, it's a little weird but you know maybe that that feeds into all the tensions that would eventually arise right right all right Number four song is Secrets. Now, what do you think about this number four track, Secrets, Jackson? It's it's a nice change of pace. Like mm-hmm. it's it's slower, mm-hmm. right? And yep. so, yeah, it it I think it works. I think again, it it does it. None of these songs really fit in together with each other, <laughs> right? So when you listen to the whole thing, you're like, yeah, okay, this you know it it works. It's different. I mean, I kind of like it. Dave is, you know, he's got, he's doing his Dave, the soft Dave voice, mm-hmm. you know, like his, Hey, come on over. It's me, Dave. <laughs> but no, I think it works. I think it works. I totally forgot about this one. <clears throat> and I think I know why. I think I would listen to Cathedral when I was listening to this record. Like, Oh yeah. God, I love that. And then I wanted to get to Pretty Woman. So I would often skip it. And so I, I, I don't remember this one being what it was. Honestly, when it starts off, 
it sounds like it's a very like 80s soundtrack movie, like background music. You know, it's, <laughs> it sounds yeah. like John Cusack be like, so I graduated from high school with you. <laughs> I couldn't get the girl to like me. <laughs> you know, it's just, it just, that just harkens right back to that. I actually really like this. It's, it's kind of mellow without, mm-hmm. you know, huge guitar heroics all over it, but it's, it's kind of got that, that rhythm of the sweet road kind of thing. And, but then uh, doing some research, I saw that Dave was like, yeah, I uh, I bought a bunch of greeting cards and get well cards from Albuquerque, New Mexico that have a lot of Native American style like poetry in it. So, you know, it, of course it, you did. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's got some some lyrics that that really it, it's odd. Right. It, it's an, if you listen to the lyrics. So when you hear something like uh, her feet are making tracks in the winter snows, she's got a rainbow that touches her shoulder. She'd be headed where the thunder rolls. She's as strong as mountains, walks tall as the trees. She'll be gone tomorrow like the silent breeze. And he, he's pulling some stuff from that. But there's also like a little Dave entendre, like, wait like the wind, watch where she blows. Oh, yeah, I know what you're, <laughs> I know what you're talking about, Dave. <laughs> we all do, you know. Uh, but actually, you know, I, this was the one I was happy to rediscover. There's usually one, at least, that you right. totally forgot about yeah. or you didn't understand as well when you were younger or whatever. And to me, this is that one good one. It's good to hear this one, actually. Yeah, and and it's I like the way that he I don't even know what you would call it like chord progressions. He, he kind of goes up and then down on the on the neck, just mm-hmm. kind of walks it up and down. I I read somewhere I thought that he had used he's got one of those double neck uh, Gibsons the, the twelve seventy five. Mm-hmm. Yeah, correct. So that's cool to think to think about him playing the Jimmy Page guitar also. Yeah, I'm like thanks for telling us that man. That's unbelievable. Yeah. Wow. You know that's I, that's really cool. And the solo, one take. Yeah, yeah, and I and I could I could see how again they, this this was down and dirty. They were trying to get this done, and sometimes that's all you need, Ed. You don't need thousands of hours of redubbing and and going over it. Sometimes you just lay it down, perfect, right off yeah, the bat. Absolutely, you know. So good, good little nugget to find uh, secrets yeah. off of. And I, uh, and I like uh, it. And on the way, on the very very end, he just does a little bit of bing 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 tapping on the way out, just kind of the the Eddie Van Halen signature. Yes. All right. But now, okay. So the fifth song is called Intruder. The sixth mm-hmm. song is Oh, Pretty Woman. All right. Correct. Like we said, they recorded Pretty Woman to be kind of like the don't forget about a song while we go take a break and, and then we'll get ready to do our next album. So they made a video <laughs> for, for Pretty Woman. All right. Mm-hmm. And it was it was directed by David Lee Roth. I don't know why anyone <laughs> thought that was a good idea. <laughs> And Pete Angelus, uh, who, you know, was uh, around Van Halen quite a bit. He helped design some of their lighting. He was apparently influential in creating the VH logo, which is, you know, so iconic. And he's worked with a lot of different folks. And and he uh, worked with Hall & Oates, I think, on some of those videos. uh, Like four or five of his videos were, like, nominated for Video of the Year. And, yes, he did work on Hot for Teacher and Jump at Panama and all those kind of things. Uh, And he managed the Black Crows either ever since shake your money maker or after that you know so then he worked with jimmy page obviously because he did that tour with the black crow so mm-hmm. he's kind of an interesting guy 
Um, so the two of them made this video and I guess they made the video and it's pretty silly, right? They, they weren't yeah. interested apparently in doing videos at all. The band like, if we're going to do it. Let's have some fun with this. So Dave's like, Oh, it's kind of a psychedelic weird thing where an, an avant-garde art project where you do it. And three days later, you come back and see what you got. So they basically have, it's bizarre. The four guys are in archetype costumes. Like mm -hmm. Mikey's a samurai. Alex is Tarzan with his shades, of course. Eddie's <laughs> a cowboy. And then Dave's Napoleon in his mansion. All right. Meanwhile, outside, outside of a shed or a shack, there's these two little people who are kind of molesting what appears to be a really hot redhead girl who's like all tied up. And then there's appears like appears to be appears to be right. Right. We'll come back to that. Mm -hmm. And there's an Igor character in the shed who's like watching this on his TV, even though it's right outside of his house. So then he calls up the four dudes like, you got to come check this out. And then they come riding in their horse or swinging through the jungle or whatever they do to get there. Of course, Dave shows up in a huge limo because that's Diamond Dave. <laughs> and so this Igor guy is weird. The two little people with the Womanish is weird, you know, the four guys all weird. Uh, and then at the end, of course, the woman takes off her wig. It's actually a guy in drag. Mm -hmm. And and then the but they all just kind of show up and look at like what's going on here. It's not like they said stop or like they just kind of showed up and then they were there. It's one of the strangest videos you'll ever see. What happened was they filmed all that stuff and it was an, a minute and 40 or so too long. He's like, well, I'm not cutting this video. I'm not going to cut that. I'm not going to edit that out. This is a masterpiece. So <laughs> instead, he goes and writes this intruder thing. That's what, I don't know, is it a, it's a minute 40 or something like that? It's yeah. uh, ish something in there, you know? It's longer than Cathedral, but it's weird. And I guess he did it on a synthesizer, but it's it's got a bunch of odd noises on it, like some squealing. It's not very melodic. They would play it on the radio a lot in the lead up to Pretty Woman. Like they play that and then they play Pretty Woman. And I remember listening with my dad on the radio. I'm like, oh, they're playing Pretty Woman. There goes a He's like, this is horrible. We're changing the channel. I'm like, no, no, wait, wait, Pretty Woman's coming. Like, and they keep going. And it's it's a long minute 40, man. I got to tell you, it, especially if you're like not, if you don't know what it is. And yeah. you, like, this is odd. This is no good. And and, and Dave's like, yeah, you know, I put that on the synthesizer and we knocked it out. It was done in about an hour. Like, it doesn't sound like you spent an hour making it. It sounds like less. But it was <laughs> interesting to me that that was created because of the video that they didn't want to do in the first place. Yeah. And I think that it, I was mentioning about how this looks like a woman and then it's not a woman. I think that that got that banned from MTV. Right. They didn't uh, play that Back much. in the day. Yeah. So you have this thing that you spend time and money on that the, the video channels were just like, yeah, we're not playing this. This is too out there for 1982. Now it, you know, it seems silly right. that you would have a problem with that. But back in the day, right. And and I that's where I was a little bit confused too, because I thought that Intruder was something else. Like he, they had worked on this and then they said, no, we're doing these covers. So they threw it in there, but you're right. It was just, we need another minute 40. Hang on. I'll be back in a minute 40 and get you something. Right. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's, it's weird. It's almost like a, it's, 
I don't even know what you would call it, atonal. I don't even know. It's 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 off, and it's just like that weird, like that that scratching noise, mm-hmm. and then it goes into Pretty Woman, which is totally different. Where exactly. Yeah, like like when we we'll talk about this in a minute, like like little guitars, the intro to the regular, it works to the main song. This doesn't work at all. These are two things like like crashing into each other. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of weird. But obviously the Roy Orbison and was it is it uh William Dees wrote that back in the day. Huge hit, international super hit for Roy, probably yes. his biggest song, you know. And Van Halen didn't do that badly with it. It went to number one on the mainstream rock chart, number one on mm-hmm. the Billboard, uh, number 10 on Cashbox, number 12 on the Billboard Hot 100. So even to get that hot uh, high in the Billboard 100 is pretty great. Did fine back in the Netherlands, uh, the home country of the, the Van Halens, 33, top 20 in Canada. So yeah, it, it did fine for them. And it was backed with Happy Trails, which we'll get to. It's the last song on, on the record. So... The intruder part, though, is is very odd. And it's just interesting to me that, again, there's 12 songs on this record, and you get a quarter right of that, everybody does, you know, versus they get nothing for Pretty Woman and the other four covers. So it's like, yeah, we're going to squeeze all these, like, 42-second and minute 30-second and minute 20-second, quote-unquote, songs in here so that we get – so when you sell a whole album, we don't get, you know, less than half of the royalties, right? Yeah, could you imagine that? Like, oh, you sold a million, you know, copies of this thing. Well, not really, because we don't get all the money for it. Interesting. I, I would say we were talking about the Kinks before. I think Orbison is in that same that same deal about how he does not get enough credit for putting some really classic tunes down. The problem that I always had with this is that that was Orbison's stick, shtick, I should say, mm-hmm. yeah. about how you know he was kind of this goofy looking dude who had this incredible voice and could write these songs. Diamond Dave is not the same thing. Talking about, oh, you know, right. she's walking away from me. Come on. You know that wasn't true. Give me a break. Yeah, no, you Come know on, what? Dave. Give us a break. Give us a break. Uh, you know, it's uh, <laughs> honestly, Roy should be up there with like Elvis, Jerry Lee Lewis, Carl Perkins, Roy. I mean, he should be just right up there with all those guys. Uh, and the Wilburys, you know, I remember that Tom was recording. I was like, you know, you may have the greatest voice in, in all of rock history. And, and Roy was not, you know, self-effacing, but I was like, yeah, that's probably right. <laughs> I've also heard a rumor. I've never seen this confirmed on the internet, but I heard yeah. a rumor that Roy was an albino and he dyed his hair jet black. And that's why he always wore his glasses. So you couldn't see his eyes, which would have been, you know, like pink or, you know, have no color in them. Like, uh, okay. Like, uh, what's his name? Like the two brothers. Uh, oh, uh, Edgar Winter. Yeah, Edgar and Johnny Winter. Johnny Winter. Yeah. Yeah. I've never seen that in print anywhere, but I've I've heard that rumor before. I'm like, well, that would make some sense because his hair never got grazed. You know, uh, right. And you never saw him without his shades on. So right. And, and if you look at the yeah, and if you look at the shades, they are very very intense like i mean you could you could kill some serious ants with those things yeah no no i mean it's like what you give to actual blind people or people with really bad sight to make sure no light goes in there you know 
And and that actually makes sense because I I knew a guy. Well, I mean, I still know him. Who who is an albino? Mm-hmm. And I saw and I didn't know that. It's the same thing. He dyed his hair. And one time I saw him on his phone, and he had the phone like an inch from his face. And I was like, what? what's going on there? Mm-hmm. And somebody's like, yeah, he's he's an albino. He his his natural eyesight is horrendous because of the condition. Right. So that makes that makes sense that that would that would be the case. But yeah, kind of a goofy dude but could write songs and and that was that was his deal is that he was this kind of you know this lovelorn guy who you know oh if she would only just turn around and take a look oh is she walking back to me this is the greatest day of my life dave never had that problem once in his right he could have been he could have been a trash man and still <laughs> i mean because he just had that vibe about him like it was always a party all the time he did yeah but roy had a beautiful beautiful voice uh yes uh, he was a real loss when he, because he was really psyched when the Wilburys came out. He was really psyched to be back on top. Like, yeah, Tom, Tom Petty was already on top. That was like Tom Petty's heyday. George Harrison had kind of walked away. He's like, I can have a hit or not. I don't really care. Mm-hmm. Dylan's out doing his thing. But for Roy, he's like, we, yeah, we're back on top. Isn't this awesome? You know, he's right. so cool. Hi, this is Christy Alexander Hallberg, author of the novel Searching for Jimmy Page, and you're listening to the Ugly American Werewolf in London Rock Podcast. Hey folks, Stefan Shirazi and Renee Richardson here from the Metallica Report. And we are proud members of the Pantheon Podcast family, where the best of music and podcasts unite. We've got something pretty cool for you. We're giving away an exclusive Metallica merch package worth over $250. That's a whole lot of scary guys, skulls, M72, and other sought-after Metallica swag. And we've made it easy for you to win. Follow and share the Metallica report, and you're in the game. Go to pantheonpodcast.com slash Metallica, enter your email, and hit that button to be entered to win. And just like that, you're eligible for our monthly exclusive Metallica merch package. And guess what, Rockers? You can enter every month. So just do it. And while we love our global brothers and sisters, the lawyers won't let us ship outside the U.S. All right. Well, that was side one of Diver Down, all, what, 15 minutes of it or whatever it was. And now we move on to side two, which starts off with, yet again, a cover Dancing in the Street, mm. writ- written by Marvin Gaye, Ivy Hunter, and William Stevenson, but made famous by Martha and the Vandellas. I mean, that was a huge, super international hit for them. Yes. This is interesting, too, because, again, I came into this after it came out. Mm-hmm. So I came into this even after the the David Bowie, Mick Jagger uh, uh, just, rendition of this. Uh, right, you call we, it a rendition. I call well, it an abortion. Okay. <laughs> South America. <laughs> what the fuck, dude? You guys dun, 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 dun. Yeah. I remember watching that on Live Aid thinking, what 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 what's happening here? What, what what are we doing? Right. This is a much better version. I didn't know that Marvin Gaye wrote that. I, I don't I couldn't imagine that he didn't. I mean, the Motown was just a factory back then. Yeah. Like you were just pumping these things out all day every day cool to see his name up there associated with this because yeah you're right this was even today this is a mega hit still everybody Mm -hmm. knows this yeah and and how they did it at the beginning i think it was how did he what did he say he did it was kind of like a sequencer he took a a mini moog and then he he set the echo in a way that sounds like a sequencer it's really cool it doesn't sound like the original but they make it work Woo! 
sounds cool. Yeah, it's definitely got that cool effect. And I, I don't know how you how you would make that noise. That whoop, 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 whoop. It's, yeah. it's really neat. And I like that they, it doesn't try to do all that shredding and, and craziness all over it. They just they right. do a really good version of the song. And, you know, a lot of people have done this over the years. I mean, we, we make fun of, of Mick and, and David for doing it, but the kinks did a, a nice version of it. Little Richard did it. Mamas and the Papas did it. I've heard the Grateful Dead do it on boots before, you know? So, okay. uh, or, or, you know, live albums, Dick's Picks or yeah. whatever, you know? So, I mean, you know, this was such a big hit for, for Motown and for Martha the Vandellas that a lot of people's like, yeah, we can put our, our flavor onto it. And Van Halen did it. It's, you know, it's actually, it's pretty darn good, I think. Yeah, no, it, it definitely works. It, 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 remember when um, they did the reunion tour and they had Cool in the Gang open for them oh yeah and people are like what why cool in the gang what are you talking about and he's like well they're they're a party band we're a party band it mm-hmm. kind of goes together that's what i think of when i hear they're dancing in the street is yes they are this party band and they're bringing the party to you and by the way i used to review all the concerts i went to for Ticketmaster, and they would almost always get published i was a top 100 reviewer most of my time in the 2000s, maybe top 50 for a little while. They did not accept my Van Halen reunion review because I said, yes, Cool and the Gang opened for them and they were better than Van Halen. And they Ooh. didn't want to hear that. <laughs> Ooh. Well, I'll tell you, I heard the uh, I heard the live record that they put out from that tour and it sounded pretty rough. That's another show for another day. Right? <laughs> Let's move on. Uh, to the next little odd thing. Okay, so Little Guitars is the next song, really. But there's a 40 or so second intro called Little Guitars Intro. It's, it sounds like Spanish acoustic, but apparently it was made with a custom tiny Les Paul that was not even two feet long. And and that's kind of where the little guitar name of the song came from. Didn't mm-hmm. know that. Yeah, I, I didn't know it. I mean, I'd seen pictures of it before, but I didn't think it was a real thing. I thought it was like something that he practiced with or something, this little baby Les Paul. But no, yeah. apparently he picked it up, he liked it, and used it on this track. He said he was listening to something called Montoya. It was a uh, group, I think, out of Southern California. And he really liked that sound, like the the flamenco, but he couldn't figure out how to do it on his own. So he just messed with it. Until he could, it, you you play the strings with the pick, mm-hmm. the I guess bought the higher strings with the pick, and then you just kind of hammer on the lower part. Boom, 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 okay. boom. Okay, bass strings. Boom, yeah. boom. So you're right. So you're playing it at. You're basically playing two parts at the same time. And I've seen it done before, and it just. I mean, I can't even you know walk and chew gum at the same time. That it just looks very excellent when someone plays it like that. Dave's like, well, it sounds like a Mexican song, so I'm going to write a song for the senoritas there, you know? And he starts <laughs> doing his thing, right? And, uh, you know, you can, ah, oh, senorita, do you need a friend? But here it is. Here's the one that I really want everyone to hear. Can't crow mm-hmm. before I'm out of the woods, but there's exceptions to the rule. I think he's yeah. talking about, I think he's talking about pulling out. <laughs> I'll say it again. Can't crow till I'm out of the woods, but there's exceptions to the rule. 
Yeah, it's called wearing a rubber, Dave. <laughs> and when you're on tour, that's exactly what you ought to be doing. Hopefully. I don't think, I think it's ridiculous that that the Little Guitars intro was its own 40-second song and then Little Guitars was a separate song. It's I, I think that's just, that's playing the game of, you know, you get one-twelfth of the writing for, for 12 songs, you get one-tenth of the writing for whatever. And it's like, we've got so many covers, we've got to put more of our own stuff on here. So let's break this into two parts. And now we get two rights instead of one. I don't know. It, it does sound like Van Halen. Yeah. And and I've never heard this song one without the other on no uh, radio on the radio. radio. It's, yeah, it's one. Yeah, it is one song. You would never do that. Like I mean, I could see how it, like eruption and you really got me. They just kind of go together because mm-hmm. that's the way it is on the on the record. Right. The, this is this is one song. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. I'll tell you another funny thing about it because when he's saying "catch as catch can" in the yeah. in the song, when I was a kid, I didn't really know that phrase just like i didn't know the phrase caught up in you by 38 special so i thought they were saying call up in you i thought dave was singing about his etch-a-sketch yeah etch-a-sketch etch-a-sketch he's like why is dave singing about his etch-a-sketch doesn't he have better toys to sing about at this point etch-a-sketch etch-a-sketch Yeah, I think everybody. I think everybody heard. Well, every high school or middle school or heard that because catch, catch is catch can't what? No one. You didn't know that. You didn't know that phrase. And right. he doesn't even really. He doesn't even really say it like that. He just exactly says catch as catch catch can. And then it's the next yeah. line that he starts with can. So right. it's like it sounds like he's singing about his extra sketch. That's all mm-hmm. I know. <laughs> and again, if you don't if you don't have the liner notes back then, you don't know what he's saying. No, no, exactly. You know, I, I think you got. I don't know if you got all the lyrics in there or not. I, I obviously I don't have all my records with me, so I can't even go look. I think there was a picture of them when they were on tour in '81, opening for the Rolling Stones in our old neck of the woods, Orlando. I think. Okay. Um, yeah. 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 The, the the it's the it's a picture of them, but from behind. So you see the band and then the crowd, and they're given the wave on the way out. Yeah. That's a that's I really like that picture. But uh, yeah, but back in the day, I'm like, wow, they played some huge shows back in the day. It's like, yeah, they're they're opening for the Stones. <laughs> Just part of the mystique, right? Yeah. Okay. So that's that. Number 10 song, Big Bad Bill is Sweet William Now, written by mm-hmm. Milton Ager and Jack Yellen. Mm-hmm. This is a funny one, man. I mean, this is, and, and this is very diamond tape. <laughs> right. Right. And and that's why I said, like, when I heard this originally, like, I had already heard the, the Just a Gigolo song. So I'm mm-hmm. thinking, okay, so this is like silly, Dave. Right. And, but... I didn't realize this as a guy who grew up in Louisville and has lived there, you know, almost 40 years over the course of his life. You know, I knew that Dave was from Indiana and I guess he's from near Bloomington, uh, which mm-hmm. is where yeah. in, in a university is. You've been there. Your brother went there. And I guess he said he had this little radio and if he pointed it the right direction at the right time of day, he'd get some odd radio stations from down in Louisville. And I guess... This one is one he picked up because in the in the opening lines, it went down to Louisville. There's a cat named Big Bad Bill. And I'm like, I never realized that, you know. But, you know, it, it's a funny way. He's talking about what a badass he is. He goes around beating up people. He goes, 
but Bill got himself a wife. Now he leads a different life. <laughs> and it's just, it's so funny. It's so very Dave. Also didn't realize that that's Eddie and Alex's dad playing the clarinet all over that thing. Yeah, it's kind of got that big band swing to it, and a right. lot of it's because of of Jan Van Halen. Yeah, and and this is this is one where it's a silly song, but I would have loved to have been there to watch them, to watch Eddie and Alex Recorded. play with their father. Yeah, yeah, and just be just in awe of him. And I guess the deal was that he hadn't played for a while. And so they really had to talk him into doing it. And he was mm-hmm. like, nah, you know, I'm rusty and man, I'm, I'm going to make mistakes. And Ed's like, the mistakes are what sound great. I mean, yeah. it just, that it imagine. makes that song. And, and I, I, I would imagine that they had to do it kind of together, like all, you know, at once. Yeah. Or, yeah. That, that's what it sounds like to me. So yeah, to watch them do that, that it would have been great. It would have been so and, cool. Yeah. Absolutely. There, there's a, there's a Sony Walkman, blah, blah, blah. There's a, quote here from dave saying i think when you hear mr van halen playing mm-hmm. so i i like that reverence to you know this is this is the the senior member this is where these guys came from they, you know, right. they got their love of music from this dude to kind of pay it back that's that's cool that he uses not you know ed's dad or whatever it's mr van halen mr van halen that's exactly correct right. yeah. and you know sadly he would die about five years later at the age of 66 but he did live just a little bit longer than Ed, who who only made it to 65. Mm. Yeah. And I, I think that he that they wanted him to do it with them, like at the Hollywood Bowl or something live. And he was just like, no, I can't. I just I just That's can't. I'm me. too nervous. Yeah. Yeah. But that's a, I mean, look, you got to love that one. Obviously, it, it may not be a huge hit or whatever. It's not like the, the great rock riffs that we've come to love Van Halen for. But as far as them having some fun and doing a Dave type of song, plus it's got Mr. Van Halen on it, you got to yeah. love that one. Yes. Yeah. That definitely ups the, that ups the cool factor. And I can imagine like when he brought it in there, they were like, what? We're not going to do this. And then he kind of would talk them into it and then getting, the the senior uh, Van Halen on there it it, it makes it a lot cooler mm-hmm. and it's just kind of a silly track and it shows that they they kind of have a humorous side to them too it's not all business all the time exactly yeah they're having some fun yeah and then well let's see we get onto the eleventh track or fifth on the second side that's the full bug mm-hmm. which to me sounds very Van Halen I mean it's like some of these are odd in the catalog but then this is yeah. kind of back to it's got that dave squeal at the start it's got the harmonies with the o's and the oohs yeah you know and it's got a guitar harmonica duel which you don't hear a lot and so that that makes it kind of cool to me this harkens back to the ice cream man you know you get that a little bit you get the yeah you get that the acoustic intro which i think dave played and then right. you know kind of that that you know the dave his essence coming through here like this is you know hey look at me um you know i'm the coolest guy ever you know with this blues thing and then you throw in the van halen guitars and yeah and the harmonica played by dave yeah it 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 definitely sounds very van halen and it fits in with the rest of the stuff and again it's it's a nice transition in between 
Big Bad Bill, and then Happy Trails at the end. Yeah, and it may be the second best guitar work on the album. If if we mm-hmm. like Hang 'Em High the best, uh, I would say that this is this is up there. It, it's kind of cool, but it, it kind of seems like they didn't take a ton of time on it, which of course they didn't, right? Yeah, and some and sometimes that's where the magic is. That's right. That's right. But you know, Dave, let me show you the best part of the man. I'm like, yeah, yeah we, we know what you're talking about. Dave. We, we get it. We want to have sex with girls. We, we understand. I know what you're talking about. I know what you're always talking about. <laughs> but God bless you, David Lee Roth. We need you in the world. Yes. Yeah. You know? you, yes. You, you need that. You need that foil to the, to the genius of Eddie Van Halen. Yeah. You need somebody to come in there and talk about how, yeah, I'm going to show you the best part of a man <laughs> or ice cream man with the, you know, all flavor, you know, guaranteed to satisfy. Yes. We got it. Thank you. Yep. Thank you so much. And then of course they finish off with Dale Evans. I mean, you know, it's just quick and easy. It was the B-side to the pretty woman. They're just looking to go on vacation. So like, oh, we need a B-side? Okay, let's just do that. (laughs) It's like, oh, yeah, we can put it on the end of the album. So now the album's not 29 minutes and, you know, and and 58 seconds. Now it's 31 Mm. minutes and four or whatever. You know, it's still such a short album. I I don't – here's the thing. We may just – use that as our uh as our outro music from now on just like, boom, you, just like all right thanks for tuning in guys see you next <laughs> week on the wolf ball buddy <laughs> it, it does it does kind of showcase the, that they can sing harmony well at least mikey can harmony so yeah. that was that was uh always underrated in the band but i guess they used to do you really got me half of it then stop bring alex out front sing this and then go back into it as their as their second encore. So I would, I would love to have seen that, have them stop the show, sing this kind of goofy, you know, you've already been there for an hour plus you've been right up hear this. And then it's time to go. That's interesting. That is interesting. You know, and the thing is you never, I've never in my life seen Dave on stage playing a guitar and singing, but apparently back when they were, just getting started. He would often bring out the acoustic guitar and do Ice Cream Man, you know, when they were doing their shows back in the day. He played the acoustic guitar on the full bug, you know. So it's not like he has no musical ability. He just doesn't show it off on stage. He's just the singer. Again, he's an entertainer. He's not a musician. Mm -hmm. He's an entertainer. Yeah, and it's hard too. Like, oh, I'm you're also gonna play guitar with Eddie Van Halen? Nah, maybe I won't, because that's probably <laughs> not the best idea. Yeah, you're strumming an acoustic, you know, right? Doing, you know, something like down the valley or something like that. Well, he's going, <laughs> you know, you're just gonna look foolish, you know. Although, <laughs> I mean, when they did on that live without a nut, they opened with "There's Only One Way to Rock," which is a Sammy song. Yeah, Sammy can do a little bit of guitar work. I mean, he's not just strumming an acoustic. He can actually jam a little bit, you know? Oh, yeah. No, he's he's really... I've seen him play. He's a very solid player, He and mm-hmm. especially on the rhythm side. Yeah, absolutely. But that's it. That That's your 31 minutes. So it has a couple of pretty good ones. It's got some really weird ones, a lot of short ones, but that's yeah. 
that's your 4 million seller in the US, uh, <laughs> you know, which, which leads into 1984, which is one of the most important albums of the 80s, one of the most important albums to early MTV, and one of the most important albums to you and me growing up, dude. Absolutely. That's why I couldn't believe we haven't done it yet, but I'm definitely looking forward to it because <laughs> that's going to be a long episode, folks, just so you know. Yeah, yeah. And and our episodes are getting longer because we don't know when or how to shut up. Also, we're, <laughs> as long as you're not listening on YouTube, we are putting clips uh, of the tunes in there so you know what we're talking about here. But look at the success. I mean, 4 million in the U.S., platinum in Canada. We talked about how Pretty Woman hit number one mainstream rock and number 12 on the Billboard. But Dancing in the Street was 3 and 38 on those same charts. And even Secrets got the top 25 on mainstream rock. Little Guitars got top 35. You know, where have all the good times gone? Top 20, you know, full bug got on the charts, you know, so people were digging this and they were putting them out there. Radio stations were playing Van Halen. They were popular. They, they knew that something big was on the way. Yeah, and I think that they are the the only uh, band that's ever sold platinum, ever gone platinum with their first five records. Included. Is that right? And, and yeah, I mean, all, everything went platinum for them. I think everything went platinum except maybe Van Halen three, maybe. Oh, but Van Halen three that, did not. No, no, yeah, yeah. you're right. Well, but everything it, else, was, yeah. I mean, even even this, which was a cover record and not truly, you know, Van Halen original, still went platinum. They sold ungodly amounts of records. Tons. You know, they had two diamond selling records, and neither of them's the greatest hit. That's pretty hard to do. That's that's very mm -hmm. rare. You you've got to be like Pink Floyd or Def Leppard. It, it's very odd. I mean, the Eagles did that, sure, but one of them was a greatest hits album. You know, so right. as an American selling rock band, you got to be named Aerosmith or the Eagles to have outsold Van Halen. Yeah, yeah, and and I think that it's probably one of those things where they they, as much as I, it is a crazy thing to say, they don't get enough credit for being the band that they were because. They it, well, especially for us because they they switched lead singers there kind of when right. we got into it. So we never got the full effect of seeing these records come out when they did. We kind of we kind of backed into them, right? Because we were a little bit young. But the other thing, the other reason I don't think they get the acclaim that they really should, because if you ask people who the greatest guitar player in the world was from like 1984 to 1994, almost everybody said Ed, Eddie Van Halen, like uh, Eddie Van Halen, or at least he would be in the top three or something like that. But people don't say that as much anymore because for the last 25 years, they basically put out nothing. You know, the Van Halen 3 was a misfire. People just kind of ignored it. They did some greatest hits albums. They released some stuff that had been around for a while. Mm -hmm. uh, and then I guess Different Kind of Truth had some newer stuff on it. Uh, but like when they do Bullethead, well, that was around since the 70s. They just never put it down on an album. you know. So it's like for 25 years, they basically didn't do anything. And while they did have a couple of tours you know okay we're back with dave and we're doing it now not mikey but we've got wolfie on board it's still just although i went and i'm glad i did it, it just didn't quite recapture the magic that was van halen and they never they never moved on they never kind of got over van halen 3 didn't work so we're not really doing no music anymore. yeah and, and i remember watching live without a net thinking i mean this is great but if i'd have shown up to the 5150 tour as a fan from the Dave days, I would have been very, very upset that I paid money to watch Eddie Van Halen play keyboards for mm. most of this, most of the show. Sammy plays a lot of guitar in that incarnation. He does, I mean, he does the solos and everything, but he spends a lot of time 
back there on the keyboard. So the, even when we caught up to them, the days of him being like the guitar god were kind mm-hmm. of he was moving more toward piano at that point in time. That's right. He's playing more piano, uh, like you know, right now, you know, that's that's a yeah. hell of a lot of Ed piano on there. Uh, and, and like we said, you know, you grow up, you have kids, you have a family, and you approach the world differently. You write songs differently. You approach your instrument differently. And so Van Halen did evolve, uh, but you know, usually there's a at some point like you know what we're going back to basics. You know, we're going to come back. Even when right. Dave came back to band, we're going to go back and do things the way. It just I don't know if it was the drugs and alcohol or what. It was like the creative part of Ed was gone. Once you hit the new millennium. Yeah, he he did struggle with some pretty heavy duty substance abuse problems. And I, I don't know, it, it's it's hard to keep reinventing yourself, too. Mm-hmm. I think at a, at, a, at a point in time, you know, you kind of just get tired of it. You get tired of it. You know, you're you know, you're always going to be compared to the stuff that came before that. So maybe you're just like, I don't, I don't even want to mess with this anymore. I've, I've kind of lost that that fire to be this person. But I know one thing that he did say was that, you know, I think people might say that all my stuff sounds the same. It doesn't. No, especially on this record. He's got it. He's got a sound like when you hear something, you say, I know that's Eddie Van Halen. But this stuff does not sound the same. He He changes it up enough. So he's got a very distinctive way of making this, the same effects sound different on these songs. Well, you know, and 20 years, it seems to me. Now, look, this is not me doing a lot of scientific research on this. Obviously, a lot of bands don't make it for 20 years, or if they do, they have a lot of low points along the way. But if you look at certain bands after 20 years, they kind of drop off. Van Halen, after 20 years, they're doing Van Halen 3. Okay, yeah, that's a drop off. Kiss. From 74 to Revenge, they're doing a lot of stuff. But then after that, yeah, there's a big drop off the stones 62 to 82 yeah tattoo you is great but then once you get into undercover of the night and you know that kind of stuff is like yeah this is not uh, that great anymore so mm-hmm. and obviously we can even debate those bands there were some high points and low points along the way but it's like after 20 years it's kind of like you know uh, i'm a different person now yeah life is different now and yeah and you're just you shift gears yeah and your priorities change and and it, yeah, you. I think you get tired of being everything you're doing being compared to the stuff that came before it. Like mm-hmm. it, it, this is something new. This is something new. I want to do. This is something. It, it's a different. I, I don't want to keep retreading the same thing over and over again. And right. it sounds like that's all you people want is just Van Halen one all over again. But uh, look, it, it's a fun listen. It's not a long one. Uh, so <laughs> go ahead and and enjoy it uh, as best you can. There. Look, I. It, it's an important part of their of their legacy. It, it sold very well. It, it got, you know, in the top, whatever, all over the world, lots of airplay. It just kind of helped set them up for what would become the mega success of 1984, which would also allow for the band to break up and yeah. we can get into that on another show. Yeah. And I would say this is probably not anyone's favorite record, but I think it definitely, it, it has its place and it's a, it is a fun listen when you go through it. that wraps episode number 107 of the ugly american werewolf in london folks on van halen's diver down of course van halen very important to guitar heads like me and jackson growing up growing up in the summer of 1984 was huge for us so going back and finding the album that preceded 1984 and diver down it was almost a rite of passage of course it had all those covers like dancing in the streets and pretty woman and happy trails on there but there was a few bright spots in there as far as the new songs went and 
I don't know, look, if you've got five covers on there, then you're probably going to make a bunch of little short songs to make up for the revenue that you're giving away by doing all those covers. Bottom line is it hit the charts in a big way. It sold $4 billion in the U.S. alone, and it bought them some time to be able to go in and do 1984, right? And of course, that paid off in a big, big way. And like Jackson said, yeah, one day we'll definitely be doing 1984. We do like to do these things around anniversaries. We chose this because it was still 2022, which means it's the 40th anniversary of this, even though it came out in April. So you might have to wait till 1984. But here's the thing, folks, it's really only about 13 months away. So that's 40 years old, if you can believe that. So as usual, folks, we want to know, do we get something right? Do we get something wrong? Do we miss the point? Do we leave out your favorite part? You have got to let us know. You send us an email, uglyamericanwerewolf at gmail.com. You can also DM us at ugly underscore werewolf or at actionjack72. You can check us out on YouTube. You can check us out on Instagram. You can let us know the albums, the bands, the concerts, the DVDs, the books, the rock properties you want us to review. And next week, hey, we're going to bring in a very special guest, someone who has dozens of gold and platinum records to their name, worked with some huge artists over the years. We're going to have a fun time talking about his new single and some of the work he's done in the past 70s, 80s, and 90s. You're going to know a lot of what we'll be talking about. A little bit of a surprise, I know, but you'll just have to tune in next week to get that one. So thanks as always to Pantheon Pods. We're very proud to be part of the Pantheon podcast network of shows special thanks to rarevinyl.com there's still a little time before the holidays guys go to rarevinyl.com use the code podcast you can get 10 percent off all of your orders and get them there in great shape for the holidays do that now it's rarevinyl.com so i guess it's happy trails to all of you out there and remember folks to all of you rock and rollers all around the world be cool and stay safe Bomba dida, 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 clouds when we're together just sing a song and think about sunny weather happy It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. 
Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any fantasy points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that fantasy points has to offer. That's fantasypoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. Fantasypoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points.